through this. You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message, visit queencity.church. That's a scary thought. In view of our great forefathers and heroes of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of our faith, our spiritual forefathers, that's who they are, yet they're leaders of a highly dysfunctional family. Abraham and Isaac both lied about wives being sisters to save their own skin. How many of you are familiar with that, uh, that little story in the Bible? Yeah. Their children murdered, lied, betrayed one another. Some murdered whole cities. The tales of their many failures and indiscretions are staggering. Why on earth would God choose such men and women to spearhead our faith and establish the household of God? Could God not have chosen a more noble and righteous family? Were there not more deserving and exemplary people available? Well, they probably were. But God's wisdom cannot be denied. He chose them to show his kindness and exceeding great mercy to succeeding generations, to reveal his power and to transform and redeem mankind, to impart his impregnable hope to fallen and sinful people down through the ages and forever. One must certainly acknowledge that our God truly is the God of hope. Who can read their life stories fraught with failure and destruction and not find hope for our own lives and our families? And so you can read down through Adam and Eve, Noah, Moses, Elijah, Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Jacob, Jacob's sons, Joseph, Gideon, Samson, Rahab, Samuel, David, the woman at the well, Mary Magdalene, Peter and Paul, every single one of them had major, major issues in their lives. Right? Yes. And yet that's who God chose. And the reason he chose them was to show us what he wants to do, who he wants to help. And that there's no one, no situation, nothing beyond God's ability to reach out, touch, transform, and change. So one of the things I've seen in David's life, let me talk about it this morning, the purpose, a purpose of rejection. Rejection's an unavoidable part of life. But here's the question. Can it serve a redemptive purpose? I'm going to say yes. Who could say yes with him this morning by faith? Yes. Rejection can be an essential element in the development of both character and spiritual maturity. One thing is certain. None of us will avoid it. How we handle it is going to determine in significant measure if we excel or if we falter. Have you ever been so close to the action, to the place you could see what you wanted to do and yet not be invited? How many of you have been in that place? Yeah, there you go. David had. You need to remember the backstory. The Lord had turned away from King Saul and determined to establish another king. So he sent Samuel the prophet to the house of Jesse to identify one of Jesse's sons. Jesse invited seven of his sons, but he left out his eighth son, David, who was the youngest. When Samuel arrived, he instructed Jesse to bring out all of his sons so the Lord could show him who to anoint as Israel's next king. 
just didn't invite David. So we find this, these three verses in 1 Samuel 16, 10 through 12. And I've just given you the backstory. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And the Samuel said to Jesse, what did he say? The Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And pay attention to this next phrase. What does it say? And there he is. He was in sight. He was in view. There he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. So Samuel instructed Jesse, bring all your sons to the feast, to the sacrifice. But he left David out. He was not invited to the party, yet he was close enough to see it. Man, you can feel that, can't you? Not invited, but close enough. He was the only one of eight sons that was not invited because he was rejected. Now, in our staff meeting a couple of weeks back, we were talking about some of the downfalls of social media. How many of you know there are many? How many of you have seen posts of events that you were left out of? Yeah, anybody? And saw all the pictures of how much fun they were having. In reality, some of us never, this is something that Andy said, I thought it was pretty funny. Some of us never even knew how many things we had not been invited to or been excluded from until Facebook revealed it to us. I thought that we, we we were fine until we found out, right? Now that ought to tell you something right there. It's uh, it's not what happens to you; it's what you think about it. That's, that could preach. Nevertheless, here's what we're coming to: David had been excluded. Isn't that bizarre? Eight sons, all seven brothers invited, not David. Why? The youngest left in the field, tending the sheep. When the great Samuel came to town for a once in a lifetime feast or sacrifice, intended to anoint the very next king of Israel and that from David's family. And he was not invited, left out by his own father. David could see the feast. We saw that earlier. It said, there he is pointed to him. There he is. He could see the feast. He could hear it. Perhaps he can even smell the cow roasting over the fire. But he was not included. Now, I need to make a note here. And this next note may be the most important thing I say all morning. Sometimes you won't be included until you truly make peace without being bitter, with being left out. That may be the most important thing I say all morning. Sometimes you won't be included until you truly make peace without being bitter with being left out. Some have said until you can be left out, there are things in your heart that will self 
sabotage you when you're included? How many of you are following this, this thought? There, there's, see, we don't understand God can be not the um, instigator of everything, but he is in everything. Do you understand what I'm saying? It means that even in a situation of rejection, being excluded, that might be such a significant situation and opportunity for you to find that acceptance from the Lord, find that sense of significance from the Lord. Now, I'm not saying what you do is not important and there is significance in it, but this happens to so many people. This, this is such a common experience. There's got to be more to learn from it than just be upset about it. I believe God can and so do something in our hearts that when we are brought in, when we are acknowledged, when we are appreciated, it won't move us because there's this whole thing about pride and condescension. Have anybody seen any pride and condescension in our nation lately? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a plague. It's toxic. So that's a side note. But it might be the main note. So why did Jesse's father reject David? Well, you can argue this point, but I'm just going to uh, say that the answer may be found in Psalm 51. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, too, I have a whole list of um, Psalm 51 is David's repentance. Uh, from the whole uh, Bathsheba, and what was Bathsheba's husband named? Um, Uriah, who David had killed virtually. Um, I have a whole list of of these people uh, in the Bible who who just they just messed up. They messed up over and over. Noah got drunk. I told you about Abraham. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar and a cheater. Leah was cross-eyed. I'm just telling you. Joseph was abused and proud. Moses stuttered and was a murderer. Gideon was afraid. Samson, long hair and a womanizer. Maybe the long hair is okay now, but, the, you know. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was too young. You know about David. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached, Isaiah preached naked. You probably don't know about that if you haven't read the text real close. Lazarus was dead. Jonah ran from God. Lazarus was dead. That would highly be disqualifying, wouldn't it? <laughs> Naomi was a widow and not an Israelite who didn't have any right marrying into the family. Job was bankrupt. John the Baptist wore strange clothes and had a weird diet. Peter denied Jesus. The disciples fell asleep when Jesus was begging them for help. Martha was a worrier. We got any Marthas in here? How about me? I could be one. Mary Magdalene had a bad reputation. Oh, by the way, she had seven demons. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was very short. Paul was too religious. 
and Timothy had a fear and a stomach problem. Now, but I think they all repented. You know what I'm saying? It's just, we, we don't just make this whole litany up of all the bad things everybody does and say, okay, stay that way. No, 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 no. There's transformation. There's reality, though. And so in Psalm 51, David is repenting over what he had done with Uriah and Bathsheba. And it's, if you, if you'll go read the story of Naaman the prophet, um, uh, uh, confronting David, it's a, it's a, it's a, un, it's a marvelous story. But it took David a while to see how, uh, badly he'd, he'd behaved. But in Psalm 51, which is a Psalm David wrote, about himself, which is the repentance psalm, he also wrote this in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, that's the arguable part about what he meant. But I have um, a real sense that David was not trying to strike up a theological question about original sin in the midst of trying to get right with God because of the adultery and the murder he was guilty of. Would you sort of see my point there? But David writes about himself that he was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Now that's King James, straight translation, no playing playing with those words. So the, this verse indicates by David's own words that his parentage was questionable. How many of you could see that so far? Questionable. I mean, he wasn't invited to the biggest thing to happen in Bethlehem in years. The great prophet Samuel. Samuel was so esteemed that we came to the city. Before he got there, they went out and said, do you come peacefully or are we in trouble? And he said, peacefully. It was a big deal. You know, there were respected religious leaders in the history of Israel. Samuel was one of them. You know, think about that. Not one of his prophetic words fell to the ground. Okay, now while we're impressed with that, his children were rebellious and didn't serve the Lord. He's in that same list of people, right? So David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. You have to think about that. Who were his parents? What, what, was it Jesse's issue or David's mother? I don't know. Doesn't, doesn't say. They don't talk that much about it. But something was wrong when David was not invited to the feast. Now, okay, you could say, well, somebody had to stay with the sheep, right? No. The next chapter in the next few verses, David is actually called into the king's palace and other shepherds take those sheep. So there was a relational difficulty here. David felt excluded. David felt rejected. Now, Jesse just didn't treat him the same way as the other seven sons. This could well be the reason why. Okay, then we have something else. Another song David wrote. David more clearly expressed this rejection he not only felt, 
How, how do you know you can feel something and it doesn't really come from what happened? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, this is the way I am sometimes. I can, I can, I don't know, it's strange. If I see someone fall down and get scraped up, my nerves of being scraped up, I feel that. Literally feel it. Sometimes when I look at situations I know people are going through and they're, it's a troubled, I, I can feel the emotion at some level that they're feeling. I'm not going through that, right? But some reason, the way I'm made up, I can feel sometimes what other, not always, and it's not, it's just something that happens. Um, so you can feel something that you haven't even gone through. But David expressed in Psalm 27 the rejection he not only felt, but experienced from his mother and his father. Psalm 27.10 in the Passion Translation says this. My mother and my father abandoned me. I'm like an orphan, but you took me in and made me yours. That's Psalm 27.10 in the Passion Translation. Let me read that again. My mother and my father abandoned me. I'm like an orphan, but you took me in and made me yours. So David was deeply flawed, and he'd experienced very clearly this rejection in a very real and emotional way. And yet he discovered in his relationship with God a profound acceptance and a joy through this really mystical connection with God. He overcame his rejection to become one of Israel's greatest kings. And God has actually said several things about David. You don't really hear him say about anyone else uh, in the Old Testament. He says this. Actually, um, we find this in Acts 13, 22 in the New Testament in something Paul wrote. Um, I'm just going to jump in the middle of it. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And then you find really sort of a very almost bizarre statement in Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Jesus himself says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root. Say, I am the root with me, just to get this in your heart. I am the root. Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of who? David, the bright and morning star. That's amazing. That's amazing. Jesus is basically saying, I had something to do with David's origins, and he had something to do with my life. He was in the lineage of the Messiah, root and the offspring of David. And you see the deep, profound connection Jesus had to David with all the flaws. I mean, you look at that whole list of characters that we just went through, all the crazy, wrong, stupid, out-of-the-way, obnoxious things they did. And Jesus 
According to New Testament, we're as beloved you. Point to yourself. You. You are as beloved, not as David, by the Father. You're as beloved as Jesus is by the Father, according to Jesus' own testimony written in the Gospel of John. Regardless of your past. And you see, when, when you deal with rejection, um, how many have you? How many of you, you know, I think everyone in here at some level. What is the solution? The solution really is the profound understanding of how God feels about you. In light of, in light of all that you are or all that you have been. In uh, the Passion Translation portion of that Psalm 27, Brian Simmons identifies um, four things every child and every one of us needs. Acceptance, focused attention, guidance, and protection. Let me say that again. In Psalm 2710, Brian Simmons, who was a translator... Of that, of that uh, portion of the scripture. He says this. Four things every child and every one of us needs. Acceptance, focused attention, guidance, and protection. Well, Brian Simmons also says in that same psalm, and I want you to read Sometime when you have a chance in the Passion Translation, particularly that, that Psalm 27. Brian Simmons has all four of those things David found in the Lord. Now, I don't think he found them automatically, or I don't think he would have had that situation with Bathsheba. I don't think he would have had that situation with Uriah the Hittite. I think there would have been a number of things he would not have done. But isn't that just the way it is? When, when we meet the Lord, get saved, express faith in Christ, born again, however you put it, the next day, do you discover that suddenly there are no issues in your life whatsoever? No. I don't know about you. That hasn't been my experience. Well, we need to find acceptance, God's focused attention, God's guidance, and God's protection. I'm going to read a few of these verses in, in Psalm 27. Brian Simmons, like I said, he believes every one of those four were David found, and he writes about them in this psalm. Verse 7, God, hear my cry. Show me your grace. Show me mercy and send the help I need. Lord, when you said to me, seek my face, my inner being responded, I'm seeking your face with all my heart. Then David says, so don't hide yourself, Lord, when I come to find you. You're the God of my salvation. How can you reject your servant in anger? You've been my only hope. So don't forsake me now when I need you. And here's the verse we read earlier. My father and mother abandoned me. I'm like an orphan. But you took me in and you made me yours. Now, teach me all about your ways 
and tell me what to do. Make it clear for me to understand, for I'm surrounded by waiting enemies. Don't let them defeat me, Lord. You can't let me fall into their clutches. They keep accusing me of things I've never done while they plot evil against me. Yet I totally trust you to rescue me one more time so that I can see once again. Let's say that together. Once again. Once again. I can see once again. See, that's where we are now. We're looking for that once again in God, aren't we? You may be dry. You may have had encounters with the Lord where you were over the top, blessed and full of faith and thinking, I can conquer anything. There's nothing too big for the Lord. And then you find out you might need to see once again how good God is. He says, how good you are while I'm still alive. And I think another translation says, I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's another translation, I think, of that very verse. I believed. I believed. Why shall we not see the goodness of the Lord? I believed. Why should we not take that to heart and believe that the goodness of God, an outpouring, a fresh, personal reawakening, uh, refreshing, or however you want to put it, a life change encounter is not necessarily just in our past. It can be in our future and it can be in our very current present now. Why not? What's it depend on? The election? Tax? What? What? Oh. Who would like more faith? Let me just ask that question. Let's be honest. Who would like more faith? Who would like more faith? You know what the Bible says? Faith comes. It's, it's not a problem or it's not necessarily bad if you don't have faith for something. You know why? Faith comes. If it comes, it means there's something of faith that can come that you don't currently have that will enable you to tap in to whatever it is you need in God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what that means is when you hear how God, good God, I'll tell you what happens to me. And this is very, very interesting. I have um, an inordinate, here, here comes confession time. I have an inordinate relationship with Psalm 91. Psalm 91. I read it four times last night out loud. That, did you hear me quote the first five verses earlier in the, in, the, in, the, in the meeting? Here's what we forget. There is power in the word of God. There is a latent power. And as I was quoting Psalm 91 and feeling average frustration, guess what happened when I finished reading that and quoting it the first time? Nothing. Nothing. The second time. But here's the thing. Um, it's, they used to talk about Excedrin. I may be going too long here, but they used to talk about Excedrin is it had tiny time release particles in it. Any of you remember that commercial? It meant when you took it, 
you got a little something, then you got more something, then you got more something because it began to release over time. And that's the thing about the word of God. When you engage it, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As I read that psalm, I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it, I'm speaking it, I'm hearing myself say it, and this has been my experience. It's so powerful that I forget about it because I think the enemy doesn't want to. I feel stronger. Something awakens in me because the Bible really has something to offer. It's not just history. There's truth in there. And the Bible says the truth will set you free. There's liberation. There's power. It says in Hebrews that the word of God is powerful, sharp, and active to do dividing in soul and spirit. And it goes on. And so there's the power of that word. We can believe. David goes on. Yet I totally trust you to rescue me one more time. Here's what I've learned through it all. This is David's conclusion. You ready for this? Don't give up. Here's, you know what? Here's something great to say. I'm not giving up. I look at everything, guess what? I'm, I'm not giving up. Don't be impatient. Well, that's a different story. But this is what David learned. Don't give up, don't be impatient. Then he says, be entwined as one with the Lord. It's, it's like a vine that wraps around another branch. That's the uh, definition of wait. How many of you heard wait on the Lord? What does that mean? It means be entwined, engage him, speak to him, draw from him, speak to him. I don't care if it's a complaint. He at least wants to hear something, right? Here's what I have learned. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes. Keep on waiting. Keep on entwining yourself with the Lord. Keep on engaging with the Lord, for he will never disappoint you. That's what David learned. That's what David learned. So here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to pray for people this morning. If any of this, I guess the principal ideas about rejection, if that's um, part of your history, and you you want to respond, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not trying to do this, but I want to pray. How many of you want me to, why don't we all stand together and I'm going to pray for this. And just acknowledge, just acknowledge before the Lord, why, why don't we say, um, wait till I say it, see if you want to say it. Lord, we need you to touch us. That was it. Lord, we need you to, to touch us. Father, I'm praying now in Jesus' name. I'm praying for these people, your people, that you would um, present opportunities, atmospheres, private, personal, or corporate opportunities of engagement when each one of us knows, we know 
that you're extending yourself to us to touch us, change us, release us. Father, I ask uh, that all sense of rejection be broken off of everyone here in the name of Jesus. And I ask for a fresh impartation, a fresh vision of who you are. Lord, if David could go through all he went through, and then you could just restore him in such a great way. We ask for restoration, Lord. We ask for encouragement. We ask for peace. We ask for wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you reach over and touch somebody? Just reach over there. I don't know if I'd touch Henry, but uh, just say, you know, benedictions. Paul didn't write benedictions as religious statements. He meant what he said. He released grace and peace. Just say that to the one you're with. I release I release grace and peace. I release confidence. I release hope. And if you're not with somebody, touch yourself and say that to yourself. I release grace and peace to you. I release confidence to you. And I release God's acceptance to you. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.